today. I'm going to ask everybody here to put their thinking caps on. I'm going to ask you to forget everything that's on your mind today. I'm going to need you to really listen up. Because I believe that God wants us to really understand the true significance of salvation. And I believe he wants us to really understand what took place on Calvary so that we can have true victory and not only freedom from where we were from, but deliverance from everything that has us. Can I get an amen? So I'm going to take you on a ride. Are you ready? Tell your neighbor, get ready. Father, we come before you today and we thank you, Lord. We thank you for everything that you're doing, everything that you've done, and everything you're about to do. And Lord, we ask, God, we ask for the freedom that you've made available for us there over 2,000 years ago to be experienced here tonight. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' mighty name. Everybody says, tell your neighbor, be free and have your seat. The significance of the cross. We were talking about being in his atmosphere and we're able to have access again. But access was denied in the garden with Adam and Eve because of sin. They had to have been kicked out of the garden. But access was regranted on the death of Jesus Christ. And we know a lot of things about the cross and we can talk about them and we can study about them and we can really, really do all we can to learn everything about the cross. But I believe we would only scratch the surface of the significance of what happened on the cross and what Jesus did for all of our lives that day over 2,000 years ago. In Isaiah 53, we're going to see something that Isaiah, a prophet of God, was having maybe an issue of understanding something that happened that day. It reads like this. Who has believed our message? Let me see here. You're starting on verse 3. I'll start on verse 3. He was despised and rejected by others. And a man of sorrows. Intimately familiar with suffering. And like one from whom people hid their faces. And we despised him and did not value him. Surely, say surely, he has borne our sufferings. This message isn't about this, but if I was to stop right there, tell your neighbor that's good news. He has borne your sufferings. That means we shouldn't really suffer if he carried them for us, correct? But surely he has borne our sufferings and he's carried our sorrows. Yet, we considered him stricken and struck down by God and afflicted. Now, I have to do this because I'm under orders. And I'm learning to obey God. I'm learning to obey the Holy Spirit, my pastors, my leaders, and my wife. Pastor said that Sister Chella won the last 50. And we never win a fight. The one that we thought we won isn't over yet. So I've learned to submit because, uh, you know, well, anyway, that's a whole nother message. But I'd like to send a shout out to Texas. Ciao. All right, Debbie, all the family over there, God bless you. Love you. Hope you're enjoying. You can send food via with ice, menudo, tortillas, gracias. <clears throat> I also like to send another 
Uh, shout out to a homeboy of mine, Nick Palomino, if he's watching. All right. Hey, Karnan, love you, brother. Stay cool. I heard he's doing good right now, and I hope he's watching. There's a lot of his family here today. I love that boy. That's my son's godfather. I also like to acknowledge a couple of friends of George's and mine that passed away this week. They're dying off. But I got to preach the gospel to them. I got to preach the gospel to them numerous times, and I led them to the Lord. That's a good thing. Amen. And Isaiah here, you will see that there's a contrast. He says there that surely he has bared and that he has carried things. That points to a good Jesus, to a good Savior. Amen. Yet he says yet. Say yet. Yet means in spite of all the good things he's done that he has to get stricken. And he says he gets stricken by whom? By God. Doesn't say that he has to be struck by the Roman soldiers, but it says that he has to be struck by God. And it looks like Isaiah's having a trip understanding this. Why does a good Savior have to be struck by God? You see, there's things called symbolisms and symbols that I like to look at, but first, we have to understand that that's a powerful tool. Symbols are powerful. Say amen. If you're talking about the Golden arches, okay, or the Golden Gate Bridge. The moment you see the Golden Gate Bridge, you know that you're not in Los Angeles. The moment you see the Golden Arches, you know you're not at Wendy's or Taco Bell. <laughs> you guys are too much already. Symbolism always sends a message. It conveys a message that will identify a person, a place, or a thing. Symbols will bring you into the awareness, into a reality that subliminally, whew, I said it, that you're taught whenever you see this image that you should expect this. You see, whenever you see the golden arches, you expect a, a Big Mac. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Symbolism is very important. People all over corporations and businesses worldwide hire some of the greatest minds to develop a logo or an icon that will send a message that will convey to the public that whoever sees the created logo or icon, the message that they want to convey. That if you come and bring your business to us, this is what you can expect. Can I get an amen? Also, it's not only important to the world but God uses symbols also. He uses symbols to convey messages to you and I that otherwise we might not understand. You see, he uses the cross. He uses the cross. He used in the Old Testament the Ark of the Covenant. When the children of Israel seen the Ark of the Covenant, they saw the presence of God. Wherever they had the Ark of the Covenant, they believed that the presence of God was with them. When they entered into battle, carrying the Ark of the Covenant, they would enter the battle with a loud shout. Why? Because they thought that the presence of God was with them. However, tell your neighbor, however, the symbol is not what it represents. 
Don't throw rocks at me. If you want to prove me wrong, go eat a golden arch. Put some ketchup on it. <laughs> Take a plane to a big apple. <laughs> the, the symbol is not what it represents. Do you follow me? I want to talk about symbolisms. I want to try to get into your mind here because I think, what's the title of this message? It, the cross, it's all bad. Okay? The cross, what it symbols, is bad. Okay? You might say it's good, but I want to try to show you where it's bad. Why does Isaiah say that Jesus has to be smitten? Hallelujah. It wasn't all good. There's a difference between what symbols represent. When they brought, brought the Ark of the Covenant, it represented God's presence. Let me see here. Hold on. Hallelujah. Okay. But when you get to the cross, when you see water in the Bible, it represented the word of God. When you see wind in the Bible, it represents the presence of God. When you see fire in the Bible, it represents the presence of God. But when you see the cross, I'm going to try to tell you something, that it doesn't represent the presence of God. However, it might represent the opposite, the absence of God. What did Jesus say on the cross when he was about to take his last breath? Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That means, Father, Father, why do you forsake me? There's an evilness there at that time. There wasn't all good. You might want to battle me because you believe that on the cross, that the cross represents salvation. But I'm going to tell you, from another point of view, the cross represents judgment. You might say that the cross represents love, but I'm going to tell you from another point of view, it represents anger. Because why? That God have to smitten him. Why did God have to slap him? God was angry. You might look at it from an earthly view, but I want to look at it today from a heavenly view, from where God looks down at the cross, say it was all bad. Hallelujah. Yes, indeed. So the cross doesn't represent all that good. Then what does it represent? So Isaiah is trying to teach us that from the cross, Jesus had to be smitten. Say smitten. So we understand the cross. We understand that blood was shed on the cross and that it had to be. We understand that we were redeemed by what happened to the cross. We understand that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son from the cross. But what are we missing? What thing are we not really seeing from the cross. You see, yes, it was the blood that was the price of redemption. Yes, that it was the cross that hinges Judaism to Christianity. Without the cross, there could be no Christianity available to you and I. There'll be no salvation for you and I. Are you following me? I'm just trying to give you the importance of symbols. And I want to tell you that sometimes we could miss the unwritten letter or the truth of what it really indicates. And when we understand the complete truth, it's going to add a lot more depth to your Christian life. You see, I want to talk first about Genesis chapter 3. In Genesis chapter 3, you're going to see they call it the fall of man. This is where the wife ate from the apple. There's a lot of lessons there, but I'll wait for men's night. 
and we could we could post too, you know. <laughs> it's true, but they put their hair in the eyes. My God, count how many times you see the word serpent. Now the was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yeah, hath God said you shall not eat of the every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. But of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it neither shall ye touch, lest ye die. And the said unto the woman, Yeah, shall not surely die, for God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat, and the eyes of them both were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, who told thee that you were naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? And the man said, the woman who you gave us to me. Blame the wife, right? My God, Hosea's wife Gomer was to blame too. <laughs> Never mind. The woman whom thou gavest to me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the woman, What is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, She continued to pass the buck. And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed. Above all cattle and above every beast of the field and upon thy belly shalt thou go and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed, her seed, it shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. Amen. So what we see here, what we see here is that the woman doesn't have a seed. Correct, ladies? You don't have a seed. The man has a seed. The serpent doesn't have a seed. Yet God is, is cursing the seed of the woman and cursing the seed of the serpent. Okay? He curses the serpent, saying that all of your days you shall crawl on your belly that you will be lower than cattle. In other words, you see, the serpent represents Satan, just like the golden arches represent McDonald's. So all through the Bible, the serpent represents Satan. And so here, God is cursing the symbol. But then he goes further, and he curses the whole life and purpose of Satan. He says, your seed and the woman's seed. Now, the woman don't carry the seed. Who's the seed of the woman? 
Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. So he says, your seed and the seed of the woman will have enmity. That means that there will be a lifelong battle between all of Satan's purposes and the will and purpose of Jesus Christ. Come on, somebody. I need a little help in here. Ladies, listen. Satan wants to get your seed. Satan wants to kill your children. Men, Satan wants to kill your future. Satan wants to kill your promise. This curse is forever until the end comes. I'm telling you right now, there's a battle between the snake and what it represents and Jesus Christ and all he represents. I'm going to tell you something. Satan also has like a trinity, just like Jesus Christ has a trinity. He's the fallen Lucifer, the son of mourning. His purpose is satanic. God has a purpose that is divine. And then when Jesus comes to this earth, Satan has the Antichrist. And then we have the Holy Spirit and Jesus and Satan has the false prophet. So the curse goes all the way through the demonic and satanic purposes of ever and God. I hope you're learning something. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So here, this curse is also prophetic because he goes into the life of Jesus Christ. Now, I don't have time to go into the seed in complete detail. But what I want to talk about is the symbol of the snake. The symbol of the snake. Okay? Can you put that up there, Brother Damien? Hallelujah. And tell me if you recognize this symbol. Does anybody know what that symbol is? It's wow. <laughs> I thought Cynthia Navarro preaching was wow. That was cool. But that's a symbol of medicine. Now, you see, when we think of salvation, everybody knows the verse John 3.16. Does everybody know that verse? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that so whomsoever believe shall not perish, but have everlasting life. We know this verse, but do we really know this verse? You see, when we read our Bibles, we got to know what it's referring to. And here you have Jesus talking to a scholar, to a Pharisee, to Nicodemus who approached him at night. This smart guy at night goes to Jesus. And some say he was on a moped, so he didn't want no one to see him, so he went at night. <laughs> and he asked Jesus, what do I have to do to inherit the kingdom of God? And Jesus starts explaining that you have to be born again, which blew this scholar's mind. How do you be born again? And Jesus starts explaining to him. And in verse 14 of John 3, he tells Nicodemus this. He says, so Moses had lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so shall the Son of Man be lifted up. The serpent, say serpent. So you're like, wait a minute here. Why is Jesus putting a parallel between himself and the serpent and Moses. 
So now you have to go back to the desert and understand what did Moses do with the serpent? And how is that going to be the same way that Jesus has to be done? So let's go to Numbers 21 and let's see what happened there in the desert with Moses. Now, real brief, I don't have enough time, but there was a place in Egypt where Joseph went. Joseph had brothers that ended up being heads of big old tribes, Judah, like that, Levi, okay? But when he was younger, they threw him in a cave, I mean, in a, in a pit. They were jealous of him because he said, I'm going to be all that in a bag of chips, and you guys are going to have to bow down to me. And so they said, heck no, let's snuff this dude. And then one brother, Reuben, goes, man, I'm not into killing. Maybe I could save his life. Let's sell him. And so they sold, and he went, and he went to prison. He ended up being the second in command in Egypt. Nobody was higher than him. And so the Pharaoh even loved Joseph's family. But a couple hundred years go by, and people start forgetting who Joseph is. And the Israelites are growing in numbers. And so now the Egyptians are getting a little worried that these people are going to outnumber us. So we got to start containing them. And so they made them slaves. And so after a while being in slavery, they started complaining and God set them free. God got Moses and set them free. You see, you and I were in slavery. Okay? That is what Egypt represents. And Moses led them out of the desert and through the sea. And the sea closed up on that that was pursuing them. And as they're in the desert, they have to go to the promised land. But the desert had a purpose. The desert was there to purify all the stuff that they had got injected in them while they were in Egypt. But during this process, they began to complain. Say murmur and complain. They were complaining about God. And they were complaining about Moses. They were complaining about God. And they were complaining about their leaders. And so this was carrying on for quite a while. So all of a sudden, boom, God lets all kinds of snakes get around them and biting them. And the snakes are biting them. And the venom is deadly. And the Israelites are dying. Many of them died. And they start complaining. And they ask Moses, please, Moses, we sinned. They start admitting things. We sinned. We were bad, man. We were talking about God and we were talking about you. Please go ask God for, to let us off the hook. So Moses goes and he asks God. And God told Moses to go make a snake and put it on a stick and lift it up. And whoever looks at the serpent that had been bitten, that, oh, you got to go to the next, uh, that had been bitten, when he looks up, he shall live. And so when Moses made the serpent of brass and he put it on a pole, say pole. Did they have metal poles out there? Say stick. And it came to pass that a certain a serpent had bitten any man when he beheld the serpent of the brass, he lived. So this is what happened. The snakes are biting them, and they're dying. And so G Moses asked God, hey, help these people. My people are dying. 
Help us. My people are dying. They were saved from Egypt. They were called out from Egypt. And right now they haven't yet entered the promised land. We're still in the learning phase. We're still in the growing phase. And they were murmuring and complaining. But man, they repented God. And God says, okay, make a serpent, Moses, and put it on a stick and lift it up. And those that look up, come on somebody, hallelujah, can be healed by the venom that has got you, that is threatening of killing you. You see what I'm saying? I'm going to tell you, in the middle of your desert, uh, you can be going through things. Uh, you can be getting tired of your desert and the very thoughts are not God thoughts. And you start looking around and you still could repent. But now you've been doing it too long and, and so long that God goes ahead and lets the venom start flowing through your veins and you're risking a death the answer is not in Oprah Winfrey it's not in Dr. Phil or even in your crazy aunt that breaks chicken heads off I have some I'm Puerto Rican half okay they heal you oh never mind it's in looking up see God had him make a snake to cure snake bites Ah, you see, what is the cure for a snake bite? The very venom of the snake bite. The antidote, my friend, is what you're being bit by. You got to get a dose of what you're suffering from and get it injected so that it will ward off the venom from killing you. God's the only one, my friend, that can use whatever you're going through to cure you. I'm going to tell you something. Hallelujah, my friend. Now, he says, as the Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so shall the Son of Man be lifted up. What are you talking about? In the desert, you see a snake get put on a stick and lifted up and become a Savior. But I'm going to tell you what happened on Calvary. You got a Savior put on a stick and become a snake. A lot of things happened on the cross. We know that. Hallelujah. You've been saved. When he got pierced, the, the veil got ripped open. We got to go back into his presence. Thank you, Jesus. He paid a price uh, that he did not owe. We owed a price that we could not pay. But what I want to talk about also today is that deliverance is here. Deliverance is in looking up uh, at the very thing that you're suffering from. I'm going to tell you something, my friend. Second Corinthians 5. 21 tells us, oh, hallelujah. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21. Are you keeping your thinking caps on? Am I boring you yet? It says that he had made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Okay? Pastor Pablo, to understand the Bible, you got to have a, an imagination, correct? He taught me that. Okay? If you can't picture God listening to you and talking with you and walking with you, if you can't picture the Holy Spirit leading you, 
and filling you, you're going to have a hard time. We have to see our future and we have to see our past dead. Are you with me? And here, you got to understand that it said that he that knew no sin became sin. You know what that means? Jesus didn't kill nobody, yet he became a murderer. Jesus did not rape nobody, but he came a rapist. Yes, indeed. Uh, I'm going to tell you, is the gospel only for somebody or is it for everybody? If he didn't die for everything, the cross means nothing. I'm going to tell you right now, uh, he was a baby rapist. Uh, he was a child molester. Uh, he was a liar. Uh, he was a killer. Uh, he was a manipulator. He was an adulterer. He took on sin. Uh, him that never committed sin. It said that he didn't do it, but he became it. Now, I'm going to tell you something. He became the symbol of evil. Lifted up on a stick. Ah, the Savior became a snake. In the desert, a snake became a Savior. God's bad. Tell your neighbor God's bad. He knows how to put a twist on things to make it work. Hallelujah. Are you following me yet? Are you following me? Listen, in order for Moses to make a snake out of brass, what did he have to do to it? You don't just get brass and shape it like silly dough or, or putty in your hands, man. You got to get a hammer and you got to put it on hard surface and you got to pound the heck out of it, man. You got to pound the heck out of it. It'll probably take you and you and you and me turns until it finally could take shape. Our arms are probably going to get tired. I'm going to tell you something. Then when it was the shape of a snake, it was lifted up. Jesus on Calvary, he took a beating, man. He took a beating, and that beating should have killed Jesus that day. It said that he took a beating so hard, he shouldn't have lived. He got whipped by cattails, man. His guts were hanging out. His beard was pulled out, but he fought back death. Why? Because he had to be lifted up. He had to make this correlation between him and the snake that Moses lifted up. He said, I can't die yet. I need to bring deliverance. I got to bring healing. Hallelujah. So he fought back death. Oh. Thank you, Jesus. You see, the gospel, the truth, you see, I got to preach to those guys, Georgie. Some of these guys went with me. Uh, and sometimes I know people thought, Greg, why are you preaching to these dudes? They're killers. They're no good. Uh, but I know what went on on Calvary. It didn't say that God took on some sin. It said that he became sin. Uh, hey, I'm going to tell you, man. He became every evil, treacherous, no good, slimy, treacherous thing that you and I ever had done, that you and I ever will do, that any convict has done, any criminal has done, any rotten person ever that had lived had done. Jesus Christ had became everything. So that salvation and deliverance is available to you, to you, to you to me, our neighbors, to everybody. There's nobody so rotten 
that the cross that Jesus did not die for. You and I, we can't be exclusive with the gospel. We gotta know that the gospel is for everybody. 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 Hallelujah. There's nobody that can't be reached by the gospel. There's nobody that can't be reached for the gospel. The blood that was shed on Calvary don't stop in front of people. No, he's too bad. No, the blood covers everybody. The blood covers everybody. Hallelujah. Glory. I'm on a high, and you got to land. Whew. I feel like a movie. Because I believe. True salvation is only through the great understanding of what really happened on the cross. And I want to tell you something. Hallelujah. Oh, shaka tayara. I have to share also when I talk about the cross that the cross today represents to you and I today the brazen altars of the past. The brazen altars. You see, before Jesus died and the veil was ripped and access was regranted, you had to bring an animal, a lamb, and you would have to go and take it and they would tie it up tape it up, put handcuffs, and they would put a bowl underneath. And the priest, and they would put wood, and the priest would cut it. And the blood would pour in the bowl. Fire would burn the flesh. That was for your sin. You see, did the lamb sin? But it became your sin. The lamb was innocent. So when this happened, the lamb took on your sin, and you took on its innocence. The lamb died guilty, and you walked away innocent. Hallelujah. Then there's a second lamb I want you to know about, and it's called a scapegoat. Huh? You know what the word is, right? Any middle children here today? You were scapegoats, right? Older brother, younger, never mind. But this one would represent Judea. And they would slap it on the hiney. And it would run out. And it would take your sins away. Hallelujah. John the Baptist says, here comes the man that will take your sins away. Are you following me? Jesus Christ had to be lifted up on the cross or on a pole like a snake like Moses did huh that way all can be saved are you following me you see Jesus Christ so that you may be made righteous it says there John 3 14 if I may it says so that you may be righteous you see the same thing that the lamb did on the brazen altars Jesus Christ is doing right here on this altar he's taking your sin upon him and you're to take his righteousness do you follow me when you see him take your sin you have to leave seeing yourself righteous can you see it when you see him dying for you and taking the sin for you you have to see yourself 
become righteous. You are righteous. But the thing is, my friend, sometimes when we come to this altar, we're able to see ourselves righteous. We even feel ourselves get cleaned and, and go, ooh-wee, thank you, Jesus. But when we go back to the car, we put it back on. But you have to understand that there was a scapegoat that took your sin and took it away. That sin is there no longer. You are righteous. Sin no more. Get up and live righteous. Get up and live sinless. Live up and live a life that's worthy of God. Can I get an amen? I'm going to tell you something. I know ladies... Uh, Abortion is a sin, I believe. My God, I believe it's wrong. But you know, that was on the cross, two ladies. And it's gone. Divorce and remarrying and doing the things that we do and doing it how we do. Guess what? That's on the cross too. Everything that you've done, everything that you're going to do was on that cross. And here's the altar. Righteousness. You see, it don't just happen. I believe in the desert there was people that didn't look up. And the venom that was flowing through the veins killed them. I'm scared that there's going to be people that don't go after the cross. And you're going to die a spiritual death. You have to look to the one that took all your sin and you have to come and take his righteousness this gospel is not exclusive a couple people knew me when I was young I wasn't a good guy but guess what <laughs> I'm going to tell you something man oh Eric left let me find another criminal when you go to court and the judge passes a judgment guilty or not can they try you again that's not just that's called double jeopardy look at man when you look up he took your guilty upon him you're free you're free you're free. You've been made free. You're no longer guilty of anything that you've done, man. You're free. Do you understand this? 
we got to grasp the meaning of this cross church or we're going to miss the whole richness of salvation. I'm going to tell you right now, man, everything hinges on this cross. Everything that you do, everything that you become will be from what you understand on this cross. If you truly understand that he died for your sins and everything that you're going through right now, whatever misery that you're going through right now, whatever's plaguing you at night right now, come and give it to God. I'm not going to labor this altar call. I'm not going to beg you to come and make this altar call. I'm going to tell you why I was studying this. I made about 20 altar calls. I must have cried numerous times, man. The altar is open. Come to the brazen altar. Come and lay it upon the Lamb of God uh, who takes away the sins of the world. Be made righteous, my friend. Be made righteous. By his nail pierced hands we are free. By his blood we're washed clean.